Thank you, Raz. Let's have some encouragement for the worship team. I, I, actually, uh, I actually want to take a few minutes this morning because Paul and Julie are celebrating 10 years yeah. with Marymount Church. So, Julie, do you want to come on up with, uh, with your man here? Give your man a big hug over there. And we are, uh, guys, we are so grateful for you. Gwen, come on up yeah. here. Yeah, come on up front here. Yeah. Yeah, you can stand over there. All right. Yeah, we're, we are just so grateful for this couple. And I just wanted to say a few things this morning. And I know all of you who are uh, listening online, everybody here, uh, to, first of all, it's such a blessing to have you back leading worship. Uh, yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Uh, three things have characterized the Raz's ministry here at Marymount Church. First of all is a heart for worship. Uh, Paul and Julie have consistently uh, championed worship nights, worship itself, worship on Sundays, the presence of God, and they've called us back to our first love over and over and over again. And they've done that faithfully and uh, still doing that faithfully. Uh, second thing, you guys have been really responsive to the Holy Spirit. And I think of this as uh, in little things like your song selections when you lead worship. Uh, Paul and uh, Julie and uh, the team here actually have been working on a new worship CD. It's going to be available in November, and it is outstanding. It is absolutely outstanding. And, um, but also, you guys have really been led by the Holy Spirit with the College and Careers group, with the youth group, and um, you've had that conviction that there's no junior Holy Spirit, and the youth of our church has been trained in the ways of the Spirit uh, from grade 7 on in, in, in very concrete ways. Ditto with the college and career group. So responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, uh, humility. Uh, Raz has been for the last two months installing this whole live stream system that we're using now and has been back there uh, sweating out the details and putting a lot of extra time and energy in. He does not need to be up front. Uh, actually, he builds up others and puts them up front. Uh, and that's been his, his style uh, since, being with, uh, since being with us. So both of you totally pour in your time, your talent, and your treasure. You're an example to all of us of walking with Jesus. Your family is awesome. So we're grateful. And this is a gift for you guys to take a weekend away. Uh, can, Jamie, can you bring the flowers up there? And just, uh, we want to especially acknowledge the special ministry of Julie among us. So, we love you. Yeah. So, I, I'm going to pray for them. Put your arms up toward them if you're online. Just, let's bless them. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of Paul and Julie Raz here at Marymount. We bless them. Uh, Father, we thank you for 10 fruitful years, and we pray for many, many more. And we love you, Lord, and we love this couple. We thank you for bringing them to us. Uh, Father, uh, have your way now as they continue to serve you here at Marymount Church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Bless you guys. Bless you guys. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, uh, welcome to you all. And by the way, uh, last week I, I did not uh, give uh, the, the answer that I received from the Lord about going to Washington two weeks ago, but I want you to know that through circumstances, through the, uh, at the council of people around me, uh, and also uh, just uh, seeking the Lord and the Holy Spirit, I got a clear answer not to go. I did tune in on Saturday. It was a fantastic event, uh, and I was blessed. And uh, that, that day was a day of repentance for me as we were praying through the 10 days of awe between uh, the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. And uh, now we're in the Feast of Tabernacles, and uh, we're all abiding in Christ. That's, that's the message of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Israelites stay in those temporary shelters and it's a sign that this is not our home that our home is with jesus and the holy spirit and the father so we meditate on those things during uh, this season 
so I'm going to go ahead and pray now as we switch and get into the Word of God this morning. I'm going to pray. Would you join me? I'm going to pray also for our nation and uh, for our president and others. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege and the joy of worship. We offer ourselves to you, Lord, through our song, through our offering, uh, through the community that celebrates Paul and Julie. Uh, Lord, we thank you, and now we give you our minds to consider the scriptures for today and what you want to teach us through the life of David. Father, we lift up our president and the first lady uh, now battling COVID and several members of their staff and inner circle. Uh, we pray, Father, for healing in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we also uh, lift up all uh, candidates seeking public office and this whole election season. We pray, Father, that uh, COVID-19 would be kept at bay. We ask, Father, for your mercy in the voting process and all the different volunteers who will be manning polling stations and uh, ballots and all the other things that will go on. Lord, we pray for order. Uh, we pray for your divine uh, touch over each person. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to dive back into uh, our study of David, and um, I'm going to be uh, taking us now from last week. Uh, we were in uh, 1 Samuel 30, and if you remember that, David defeats the Amalekites. Uh, he goes after them and destroys them. His his honor and his leadership skills are growing. And then in 1 Samuel uh, 31, Samuel, or Saul and Jonathan die. And David, uh, these guys, these two, Saul and Jonathan, are buried by the men of Jabesh-Gilead. There's fasting for seven days. And then David, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, mourns uh, the loss of Saul and Jonathan. He's not saying, oh great, I finally get to be the king. He actually goes into a time of mourning and lament, and he uh, writes a poem of lament to honor Saul and Jonathan. So this week, we finally get in 2 Samuel chapter 2, we get to David finally becoming king. And, uh, the, but the path to kingship is painstakingly slow. We're going to see this morning what he has to go through to, to wait for and to finally experience the full kingship uh, that God promised him when Samuel anointed him king when he was 13 years old. So this is now coming through, and he, we're going to see that he walks well with God in the waiting, in the waiting because uh, he trusts God and is being disciplined by God. So the big idea this morning, uh, the topic is waiting for God's fulfillment. All of us are in a process of waiting for God's fulfillment in various ways. Uh, but this week, uh, the big idea is that this process of waiting is really hard. But it produces a harvest of character. And it produces the deep fulfillment that is actually the abundant life that God promised us. So we're going to uh, take that. And before I just dive into that, let me just throw out some application questions so you can dial your hearts into this, this story that we're about to look at and get ready. And, and I trust you've read this and this week and you've pondered it and you've thought through it. But first thing is, uh, are you waiting on God? Are you waiting on God? And the answer to that for each and every one of us should be a resounding yes. Because if we're spending any time alone with God, if we're spending any time in His Word, if we're relationally connecting with God, uh, we're going to be hearing things. We're going to be hearing promises and nudges, and we're going to be waiting. And it could be that you're waiting for a child to come into your family. It could be that you're waiting for a prodigal to return to your family in the righteousness of God. It could be that you're waiting for a spouse. And you're waiting for that person God has picked out for you. It could be that you're waiting for a job. We have, we have some folks in the congregation that were praying for work. They need a job. Some of you may be waiting for a promotion. Uh, and, and you go through that process 
do you find yourself uh, dissatisfied? Because that's, that's one of those things that happens, but it's also a sign that you need to press into God. Or if you find yourself grumbling, or if you've lost faith in the promises of God in your life, or if you uh, have uh, been, been taught by God in the season, you're being taught and the lesson is hard. David is going to go through a very hard lesson uh, in today's text. And then uh, what, is, what is God trying to teach you? So get ready to share answers to those questions if they, if they resonate with you. But also you just may have a story where God was faithful and in the waiting you saw the faithfulness of God vindicated in your life. So, uh, I'm going to briefly overview the, the seven stages that David has to go through in his waiting process uh, to fulfill what Samuel told him when he was 13 years old. And I'm just going to hit the highlights, but we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 2, and in that chapter, David is anointed king of Judah in the city of Hebron. Now imagine this. He's been waiting 17 years from age 13 to age 30. And he's anointed king over Judah, which is about 10% of Israel. So step one, 10% fulfillment uh, 17 years later. All right. Later, uh, now in chapter 5, David is anointed king of Israel, but that anointing happens in Hebron. So Saul has died. Saul's family puts somebody else in as the king over the other parts of Israel. Uh, there's lots of battles back and forth, and David is victorious. And now the tribes all come, but they come to Hebron, and they anoint him king. So now he's king over 100% after 24 and a half years. <laughs> Now, step, step three is, all right, I'm king, but I need a headquarters. Hebron's way in the south. I need, I need a, a central headquarters. So the answer, obviously, is Jerusalem, because when, when he cut Goliath's head off, what did he do? He put his head in Jerusalem, because he knew that's where he would be king. So he's got to overcome the Jebusites. The Jebusites are these nasty people that Joshua, when he came into the Promised Land, could not dislodge them. And they, uh, they had this, uh, this uh, hill. If you look at the, uh, let me show you a picture. This is modern day Jerusalem with the temple and the gold dome. That's a, 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 an Islamic mosque called the Dome of the Rock there. And if you look at those white dotted lines, that is a ridge that's actually south of where uh, the Ottomans put the old wall around uh, Jerusalem in uh, 400 years ago. So that this part of, of David, this part of Jerusalem, which was there in Jesus's time, there in David's time, there in Solomon's time, is no longer inside the wall, but it's a ridge. You see, there's a valley on the right, the Kidron Valley, valley on the left, the Tyrophian Valley, and that white area. Okay, so let's go to the next picture. That is, that on that little ridge is where the Jebusite fortress was. And it looked something like this from archaeological reconstruction, and it was impenetrable. And so it was this was the city David had to take. And on the right, you see the Gihon Springs. That is the, the water supply of the city of Jerusalem. It is still the water supply of the city of Jerusalem today. And David knew by the Holy Spirit that the way to defeat the Jebusites who were very overconfident, was to go up through the water shaft that connected the spring with the city. This is how they brought water into the city. It was discovered 140 years ago. I've walked through it, and it is the water shaft that Joab and the, uh, David's army came up through. They surprised the Jebusites from the inside. They destroyed them all, and David renamed Jerusalem the city of David. So step three, he now has a, a headquarters. Step four, uh, the Philistines find out about all this, and so they come and attack. Not just once, but twice. 
So David has to have two wars with the Philippines, with the Philistines, and it is not clear how long that took, but let's say it took about a year. In the first war, he defeated them with strategy A. In the second war, God gave him a different strategy where he literally said, wait till you hear clapping in the poplar trees and then go in behind them and kill them. And he did that. So now he's got to win two battles over the Philistines. That's step four. So he's now the king over all Israel in Jerusalem. And we're talking now probably 28 years after God promised him. So he gets now into Jerusalem and he realizes, ah, I need the presence of God. I can't do this king thing without God. So he says, let's bring the ark to Jerusalem. So they get the ark, they put it on a cart, and the priests are walking with the, with the oxen and the cart and the ark of the covenant, right? And the ox, stum- the ox stumbles, and the priest puts his hand on the ark, and the priest instantly dies. God kills him. All right? So David is worshiping like mad in front of the ark as it's on its way to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the priest is killed. Everything stops, and David is angry. And God has to teach David a lesson about his holiness. And it seems to be a very quick lesson. The priest drops dead. David is angry. And then very soon after, literally the next verse, David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, the priest. And to this day, that his place has been called Perez Uzzah, breaking out against Uzzah. Then the very next verse, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? In other words, I am a sinful man. I am not worthy of this. David is reminded of the absolute severity and holiness of God. And you might be saying, well, why does, why does the priest die because he touches the ark? Well, if you go back to the book of Exodus, there were specific instructions. The ark was to be carried on two acacia poles that, had, that went through loops on the side of the ark of the covenant, and it was to be carried by priests that way. So David checks the Bible, and then episode six in his seven stages of becoming the king is that now they bring the ark in the right way. The priests are carrying the ark on the poles, and David is worshiping, and the whole city. So now David has the kingship of all Israel in Jerusalem with the defeat of the Philistines, with the presence of God done right. And he is worshiping with all his might. And then he says goodbye to everybody. Everybody goes home with a gift from the land, a cake of dates and figs and everybody goes home happy and that leads us to the final stage where David comes into his home and Michael the daughter of Saul M-I-C-H-A-L Michael uh, refuses to worship God and tells David he's undignified and David is exalted among the people and Michael is cursed by God and she can never have kids so now we have the final installment of the, the active kingdom holiness of God operating in David's kingship in Jerusalem with the ark, Philistines defeated, whole country now, and the presence of God. So that journey takes David to about 28 or 29 years after the promise that Samuel gave him. So we're going to now unpack three Lessons from David's journey, his, his seventh stage, his long and winding road to the kingship. Now remember this, each and every one of us is on a long and winding road. This is the way God works. And let me show you what happened to Jesus. Jesus had a long and winding road. Jesus was, had to wait from age zero to age 30 to become the Messiah in his ministry. From age 12, when he was at the temple, stunning the religious authorities with his knowledge, he had to wait 18 years. And during those 18 years, he worked in Nazareth in a 
in a builder's shop with his dad, and then his dad died, and he took over the business, and all the way to 30. So 18 years he prepared for three years of ministry. So that's a six-to-one ratio of preparation, and God does that. He prepares his leaders. Ditto for Abraham, for Isaac, for Jacob, for Joseph, for Moses, for all the prophets, the same thing. Same thing's true of you and I. So let's learn from David in, in three lessons, uh, and let's unpack that. And Jamie's going to come up and help me, so if you want to welcome Jamie. All right. So uh, we got three, three lessons uh, for this, uh, for this uh, message. So number one, patience and patience that's anchored in humility, contentment, and faith in God's promises. So we have to wait. We have to learn to wait for the good things that God has promised us. Uh, David has this deep trust in God that enabled him to be content in every circumstance. David believed that God was a righteous king. And David is actually a really good example of us because we're living right now where the kingdom is now, there is divine healing, there is supernatural, there is the Holy Spirit, there is glorious worship, there's the presence of God. It's now, but it's also not yet. We're waiting for Jesus' return. So until he returns, there's going to be a whole bunch of things that are promised in the Bible that don't fully happen until he returns. So we have to get ready to wait and that's the story of David. And he does that with patience. He's humble. He, look, Saul and Jonathan dies. And, and rather than saying, okay, good, it's my turn. Let's make Israel great again. Like, he stops. And he writes a poem. He writes a poem of lament. And that, that is, he's honoring the previous leader. He's also uh, honoring the men that came and got their bodies and buried them properly. And so he's constantly thinking of others, and this humility really comes through. I want to tell you a quick story, and then we'll open, uh, Jamie's got something, and then we'll open it up for comments. But I had a friend in high school, and um, we went to college together. He got married. We were roommates. He got married in uh, between second and third year of college, so uh, we were super tight friends, and... Um, uh, I then went international after college and working at P&G, I went international. I didn't see him from graduation in 1978 to all the way till about 1999. When we returned, I went and visited him. He lives up in Canada. Uh, he had gone on to get a PhD. And um, anyway, we reconnected uh, a month ago for the first time in a long time. And I spoke to him again this week. And this week, he told me, I just want to thank you because I had given him a Bible in 1999. And what he told me was, he started reading that Bible five years ago. And because of his training, it took him, he read through the Bible twice. And then he said, Dennis, the conclusion was inescapable. Jesus is the only one worthy of my trust. And I just thought to myself, it's such a thrill. It was so encouraging because he's walking with the Lord. You know, I didn't talk to him 50 times. You know, I prayed for him pretty regularly, but not every day. Uh, and I, I, just, I just saw this Bible sitting there, and God, 20 years later, brings it into full fruition. It's such a great example of how God wants to train us to not give up to not quit, to be patient, to be humble, to be persevering. Jamie? No, that's awesome. Yeah, can we celebrate that? Yeah. Can we just celebrate Thank that? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I had a, a, a mentor pastor in my life um, who would say often that in our culture, we, we love fast food. We love things to be fast, right? Like, you should have already explained it to me. I should already know what's happening. And he would always say to me, God is not, God doesn't work by microwave. God's Amen. more of a crock pot kind of guy. 
Y'all know what a crock pot is? Like slow cooker. Get like the smoker in the back of chef's house. When God is dealing with us, it's not microwave. It's not 15 seconds and then we're done. He likes that slow cooker with us. And we get in trouble when we want God to be, I want it my way quickly in the drive-thru right yeah. now. Amen. And so as we're just looking at this, the point is patience anchored by humility, contentment, and faith in God's promises. There's a Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 that we were also looking at. And Psalm 10 is interesting because David is looking at his enemies. And not only is he waiting, but he's also looking at these wicked people and saying, God, they're getting what I want, and they're wicked. So this is what happens when you start having to wait. Guess what you start doing? looking at everybody else around you and how they're being blessed or how they're experiencing God. You're like, that person's wicked and they're experiencing God and I've been sitting here for 15 years waiting on the promises of God. So David, even in the Psalms, the lament Psalms, a lot of them are coming out of the heart of someone who's waiting and it's hard. Right. But Psalm 9, David says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name. Sometimes we just need to choose to remember what God has done in the past and choose to trust him. Don't, don't do this whole looking at everybody else and what what's happening to them. That jealousy stuff will get you in a hurry. How about I choose to remember you, God? I choose to remember what you did for the people of Israel. I choose to remember what you've done in my life. Yeah. And I will choose to be in the slow cooker with you and to praise you in the midst of it. So just as an encouragement to us, what do we do when we're waiting? Choose to remember and praise him in the slow cooker. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I wrote down journey. Think journey, not destination. And think presence, not promises. Yeah. If you've got... His presence on the journey got everything because he does say every single promise of God is yes in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say when. It just says yes in Jesus Christ. So we'll open it up. Does anybody have any comments that they want to make? By the way, Raz and Julie, lots of, uh, lots of cheers from uh, the online crowd. So I want you to know that. Yeah. And Josh Harney says, that is a really good reminder to persevere in prayer. You know, to stay in the place of prayer and just recognize, like, yeah, whoever we're praying for, God loves them like a zillion times more than we do, you know. All right, anybody have any comments on that? Burr, we got one over here. Faith George says, amen, Jamie. Comparison is poison. Yeah. Well, I became a Christian in uh, 1972 when I was 32 years old. And I, in my newfound exuberance, felt I was being called into the ministry, which God quickly showed me was not the case. And that was a bit, that was a, seemed like a disappointment. But at the very same time, <clears throat> excuse me, he gave me a strong sense that I would be called into Christian ministry down the road. And little did I know that down the road meant 21 years. But during that time at Procter & Gamble and many other things, he clearly prepared me for what he had called me to Amen. do. That's right. Amen. Amen. And if you don't know, Burr uh, founded uh, the ministry called Jobs Plus and... Uh, uh, a number of other uh, major influence in the city of Cincinnati uh, out of that 21 years of waiting. So thanks, Burr. Yeah. Bless you, man. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> all right. Um, let's, uh, let's keep rolling on. Doesn't, oh, did somebody have their hand up? No. Okay. Let's keep rolling on. Uh, let's look at... So that's... Lesson number one, patience, humility, contentment, and faith in God's promises. Uh, let's go to lesson number two, practicing reverent fear and passionate worship in his presence. <clears throat> so now we see David, he's, he's inquiring of God on everything. 
Should I go do this? Should I do that? And he is, he is the king of the inquirers. That he is asking the Lord. Uh, and he comes into a number of situations, but we find David either writing laments about Saul and Jonathan, or praying, or inquiring of God about how to defeat the Philistines, or how to defeat the Jebusites, or uh, every detail of his life, he's, he's waiting. And in that, he's now learning about fear. In that episode where the, where the priest touched the ark and got vaporized, David, David was trained in that moment um, and to recognize the holiness of God and the, how that is so beyond what we can imagine. And uh, in that, there's this tension because David is like this fearful, holy God that I, you know, I am afraid in a, in a reverent way of. And then... He's dancing with all his might in the presence of God because of the friendship and the fellowship and the admiration he has for God. So it, it seems like uh, an impossible paradox, but he is, he is both learning to respect the holiness of God and learning to run to and be in the presence and honor and worship and praise God. So there's this transcendent God and this imminent God, this God who's far away and this God who's our friend, this God who's the king of the universe and who I can climb onto his lap and call him Abba. And so David, uh, David uh, lives that. And um, we see here in 2 Samuel 6, it says, uh, and he gives God all he's got. You know, it says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. This idea of heart-throbbing worship is offensive to those who want a nice, controlled, civilized religion. Yeah. Yeah. But the Christian faith is a, is a faith throughout the centuries that has been marked by absolutely uh, abandoned worshipers. Yeah. People on their faces, people on their knees, people dancing, people clapping, people uh, singing in the Spirit all kinds of manifestations that are not predictable, that are not normal church. Heavens that we would ever be a normal church. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Who wants to be a normal church? Who wants to be a nice, tidy, organized, well-behaved, you know, predictable church? That's not what we see here. We see Michael wanting that and despising this crazy worship. If you were dancing this morning when Paul was singing, I feel like dancing, then praise God. If you felt some restraint to be dancing, then David says, loosen up. David says, give God all you've got and watch what happens. That's good. That's good. Almost need to just wrap it up right there. Um, that's good. So the ark just as I was reading through this, the ark itself, just so, so we're all clear like from a biblical theology standpoint, the ark symbolizes what? The presence of God. So the ark is where the glory, the kavod, would dwell over the ark. And so there, in this time period, if you had the ark, you're good to go. In fact, after Uzzah gets um, taken out, David gets afraid, and he actually sends the ark. Do you know where he sends the ark? He sends it to a dude's house, Obed-Edom. He sends it to Obed-Edom's house. He's like, I'm not having to do anything with that. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want the presence of God, which is something striking to say. And he, he sends the ark over to Obed-Edom, and this is what the Bible says. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. Three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs of him, to him because of the ark 
of God. Listen, the dwelling of God with his people is something to celebrate because the presence of God is actually blessing in our life. And it's fascinating because the ark then, as we're thinking biblical theology, post-cross, post-God with us, Emmanuel, Christ coming, post-cross and post-resurrection, where's the ark now? We become the dwelling places of God. We become the holy of holies. The temple curtain is torn in two, and the presence of God is available to all of us, and it is poured out onto us. Right. Now, the question is, am I stewarding the presence of God? And the question the Lord has been asking me this week, is the Morehouse stewarding the presence of God in such a way that we are blessed by his presence? Is Casa Moore experiencing the blessing of God because Bailey, Caden, Jamie, and Jess are intentionally stewarding worship and presence in our home? Because all it took was 90 days and Obed-Edom is blessed because the ark is there. You have the ark all the time by faith in Christ. What, what does it look like to steward? So just a challenge to all of us. What, what needs to happen in your home to steward worship, to steward holy reverence to God, yes, and to steward exuberance. Maybe after dinner, we should turn on some worship music and go after the Lord. Dance party. Maybe, maybe a dance party is what needs to happen. Bailey Caden, you're watching? <laughs> dance party. This week. Accountability, right? Dance party. So just as an encouragement, what does it look like for your home to steward the presence of God? And what does it look like to steward the presence of God in my life? The Father is drawing MCC to have a greater hunger for worship. Amen. That, that it's not a coincidence that it's the 10-year anniversary of the Razzes right now. That's a, that's a sign of what's coming even greater worship, even greater hunger for the presence mm -hmm. of God. Amen. So let's pray to that end. Let's pray to that end. Can I have an amen from over there? Yeah, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Can I have an amen from here? Yeah. Can I have an amen from online? Amen. All right. Excellent. <laughs> All right. We're going to open it up here. Does anybody want to share anything? I, I did get a, a, a text from Jess Moore. I think the reason we don't give it all in worship is sometimes fear of man or what others will think of us. Yes, it is, it is possible that if you're on your knees in worship or you're clapping or you're dancing a little or you're yelling a little loud, it's possible people sitting near you today may not sit beside you next week. <laughs> but, who, but who cares? <laughs> who cares? Amen. <laughs> Uh, we have we have somebody over here, uh, Terry. Hi. Um, you know, you talk about worshiping out loud and dancing, and it took me a long time to get there, but it was led by example. Um, Sherry dancing in the back of church, Naj yelling out, people just really just embracing just the power of God. And then over at Sam and Michael's house, after dinner almost every day, they have a dance party yes. and they dance and they worship the Lord and it was all by example that loosened me up because I was a frozen chosen <laughs> so, <laughs> so Amen. No, no more you know Amen. praise God great testimony Chef alright anybody else alright we'll move on to number three and number three if you're doing number one and you're doing number two then number three is a consequence or a byproduct of that, and that is that we get to live joyful kingdom lives despite living in a world of chaos, all right? In other words, David enjoys the challenge. David sees God's goodness. David does not care what other people think. David uh, focuses on God. You know, in the midst of this journey that I've described, this morning, this seven-stage journey to the kingship, uh, David is writing psalms. You know, he, he's written half of the book of Psalms, which is the biggest book in the Bible, 
He's written the most chapters in the Bible. He's written half of those. And what they are is they're his testimony of what it looks like in a dry and weary land with enemies chasing after me, with the rivers running up to my neck, with my enemies seeking to destroy me. You know, all the different aspects of chaos in David's life. He's writing Psalms, and every single one points to the presence of God points to trust in God's promises. So he's over and over and over reminding us of that. And uh, that's his testimony. So he's living uh, this joyful kingdom life regardless of what's happening. He's able to respect God's anointed and the other people uh, in his life. He's able to trust God's timing uh, in the middle of battles and bloodshed and political intrigue. David's like focused on God. And so, uh, you know, this, <clears throat> this week, we, we've, we've got a lot going on. I mean, we look at that debate last week. That was, uh, in the very least, a national embarrassment, okay? Um, it's chaos. It's all part of the chaos around us of some of the, some of the things we're witnessing now and some of the uh, forces at work, whether it be on the far right or the far left, uh, I, I listened uh, to, to an old speech given by another politician back in the 60s, and he, he said this, it's not about the left or the right, it's whether we're heading up or we're heading down. Amen. Right? And in our worldview, that means are we heading closer to God or are we heading further away from God? Are, are we experiencing abundant life or are we not experiencing abundant life? Well, in any case... In this entire situation, David is simply able to live a joyful kingdom life in the middle of all his chaos. And he's got more chaos to come in his reign, and he will make mistakes. But right at this moment now, this crowning moment where all the promises of God that were made when he was 13 years of, old, of age have come to pass, and he is with God in the presence of God, worshiping God as king in Jerusalem over all of Israel, uh, he, has, uh, he has experienced the, the trustworthiness of God. And he's writing about that in Psalm 9 and 10. And we see that whole story here. And that, that is uh, our call today, guys. Our call today is like, get ready. There's going to be more chaos. There's going to be more chaos we're heading this this month and next month we're heading into a situation where all kinds of things can go wrong so we have to be anchored in the presence of god in the word of god and the spirit of god because that is that is our that is our sanity that is our security that is our celebration right we can we can rise above the situation like david did and that that's that's my prayer that the church would rise above that situation and be this witness of peace and love and confidence in our god yeah that's good um in thinking through like what would that look like for us and mark sayers who's a, a pastor and an author in um down in Australia, he uses a phrase, and I, I put this in the weekly email this last week, he uses a phrase that Christians should have uh, an unanxious presence. It's good. That because we have the Prince of Peace, when we walk into a conversation, I don't know about politics maybe, <laughs> that we carry an unanxious presence. That we carry the fruit of the Spirit rather than the fruit of politics or whatever, Right? And, and maybe just maybe the church is supposed to be in stark contrast because we're joyful in the midst of chaos. And it's not rose-colored goggles like, everything will be fine, la, la, la. No, bad stuff. It's bad. There's, there's things that are happening that are grievous to the Lord. But rather than be just distraught, we're people of peace and people of joy. And so just thinking about what, how does that work I'm just looking at David and his response to Michael. Because Michael's coming to him, and there's a criticism of his position that he's holding with regard to worship. 
And his response, listen, is gospel motivated. He says, the Lord chose me. He's appointed me. He's with me. He's rescued me. And then he says this, I will celebrate the Lord. Because of these things, because of what he has done for me, I will celebrate the Lord. If you want to grow in peace and in joy and in worship, remind yourself of the good news of the gospel again and again and again. Right. Because it's when I'm reminded again that Trump is not the Savior and Biden's not the Savior. And when I get riled up, it's because I think someone else will be the Savior of me. And I get so stressed. Like, stress is because my God is being threatened. Maybe a political party. Maybe another thing in life. But if I'm resting in good news, Jesus is king, then I can enter into a space and have an unanxious presence. And to be a, a, a person of joy. Amen. Even in the midst of chaos. And uh, Dennis and I found a quote by Eugene Peterson. And uh, a fantastic pa uh, pastor and author. He said, Many people quit reading the Bible saying, I can't read the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Too much fighting, too much brutality. Well, that's exactly why Christians do read it. We find God's purposes being worked out in the precise moral and political, social and cultural conditions that we wake up to each morning. A world of shabby morality and opportunist companions, religious violence, religious propaganda the many, many sons of Zariah that are too hard for us. Mm. Follow me. All that David was dealing with is just as broken and jacked up as what's happening right now. Political intrigue, manipulation, killing people. And in the midst, David goes, I will celebrate the Lord. I will worship the Lord. What does it look like for us to joyfully worship right through the end of 2020. Amen. To have an unanxious presence. Yeah. Dennis Spurgeon says, chaos, that, what is preventing us from experiencing Philippians 3.20? Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is go back up about three verses. And Paul says this, brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, let's walk in the example of the godly. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Got all kinds of that going on around us. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. In other words... The good news of the gospel not only is that God will redeem anyone who comes to him in faith with their sin, he'll cover it with, their, with his blood, and he'll make them white as snow. That's you and me and anyone watching. That promise is for you to come and say, forgive me, Lord, and take the cross, the blood, as payment for your sin. And when we do that, we also have personal salvation, but we also emigrate out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And our eternal destiny is changed forever. And that means we now stand as citizens of heaven and we can now say, in the midst of all the chaos, we can love one another, we can love those who don't love us. Why? Because eventually all the wrong and all the destruction that is being done is going to be paid for the Messiah will set it right. So we don't have to worry about setting it right. All we have to worry about is walking with Jesus and bringing him to those around us. That's all we need to focus on. That is our citizenship in heaven. And when we are fully about that, we will have peace. We will have peace. When I talked with my high school friend this week, I had an overwhelming peace in the and confidence in the goodness of God to reach out and to work through his word uh, and he is able more than able to do all that we ask or imagine amen, amen.
All right, well, I think uh, we're going to wrap up now, and I just want to close with some encouragement this morning. Um, uh, let's see, we got something from Faith uh, here. What will attract people to Jesus isn't looking and acting like the world, but having peace when there is panic, having grace when there is defensiveness, derisiveness. And that's how we can represent our great God, to exemplify who he is to his people. Exactly. And so I just want to close uh, with, with some encouragement and to bless us all with this encouragement. So next week, our texts are going to be 2 Samuel chapter 7 and chapter 10. We're going to look at God's covenant with David. And the psalm is going to be Psalm 110, uh, the psalm of uh, the, the kingship and the Melchizedek priesthood of Jesus. So that's, uh, that's for next week. And if you need prayer today, um, you can text the number there, which is a confidential staff cell phone, and we can have a prayer servant pray with you online. Uh, or if you're here this morning, we're going to have prayer on the patio after the service. So come out there and we'll pray for anybody who needs prayer. And I want to close with uh, Galatians 6, uh, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up Amen. see this this message from david is to not give up to keep walking through that that delay to keep walking through the waiting to keep trusting to keep focused on god to keep him at the center so that one day we will hear those words Welcome to your inheritance, good and faithful servant. Because the one who promises is faithful. So if you guys want to stand, if you want to stand, I'm just going to bless you, Father. I bless this congregation to be filled afresh today with the power of your Holy Spirit. To walk in fullness with you, Lord. To trust you. To walk with you. And to not give up. And so experience that wonderful harvest that will come because of your faithfulness, Lord. So I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to go and bring the kingdom with you today. Amen. Have a great week. Hello, girl.